0: All right, on this episode of the Launch Notes podcast, we've got Fran Roche, who is CEO of ForgeRock, a company that is doing really incredible things. And listen, this is a killer conversation. We talk all about product. Fran has worked with some of the best product managers. He's running a public company now. This is really in-depth in terms of what the CEO wants to know from product leaders, what a good product leader looks like to a CEO. You're not going to find this a lot of places like, listen, if you're really going to climb the organization in the product management world, ultimately you need to be able to communicate with the CEO, have that relationship, explain product strategy on their level. You can learn some of this talking to other PMs, but really you got to get the perspective of the CEO to really learn this stuff. Fran opens it all up for us, tells us all about what it takes to be a killer product leader from the CEO's perspective. You're not gonna wanna miss this. And a quick reminder, this episode is brought to you by LaunchNotes. If you're listening to this, there's a good chance you're passionate about product, whether you're a PM, a product marketer, or a founder. LaunchNotes is the world's first product success platform, bringing together product feedback, customer insights, enterprise-ready roadmaps, marketing-grade changelog, all into one easy-to-use solution. Come see why hundreds of amazing companies like Segment, Drata, and Loom love LaunchNotes at LaunchNotes.com. Now onto this episode. All right. We're here with Fran Roche, CEO of ForgeRock. I'm really excited for this conversation. Fran, thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you, Blake. It's great to be here. So maybe before we get into, we've got a lot of cool stuff. I know, uh, product folks will be interested to hear about today maybe before we dive in give us the quick overview of yourself uh what your kind of career path has looked like and then maybe a little context around you know forge rock and kind of what's going on uh with the company there
1: absolutely great well uh let's see i've been the ceo here for DROC for about five years Part of that, I spent about eight years at Symantec doing different parts of enterprise and consumer security. Part of that, about a decade at Verison doing a lot of identity and authentication. So a couple of jobs before that, but they're not really relevant. They make me sound too old. So I think really focus on the last 20 plus years, really, in the cybersecurity and the identity space. A lot of, a lot of history. Uh, at Fordrock, we are a digital identity company. So we help enterprise customers create identity experiences that are simple and easy and frictionless, as well as secure and private and compliant. We've got about 1,300 enterprise customers, uh, about 1,000 employees, right? Quarter here in California, we're a public company, uh, and growth is our mindset. So that's a little bit kind of about the company. My background, I would say I've had a lot of different jobs, which is Th- makes a good CEO. I've had a chance to be on the sales side, the product side of an engineering degree, and I spent a lot of time with product management, of which I'm very passionate. So that's a little bit about my background in the company in a nutshell.
0: Excellent. And I love talking to company leaders who have a product background. So let's dive right in on product. Because a lot of, I think, product leaders, whether you're on a an advanced product manager, uh, a head of product, you're running the whole product org, they don't always have that context of, what does the CEO want from me? How can I best communicate? What is a good sort of relationship between CEO and head of product? So what are some of the things you've looked for over the years, or maybe would advise other, you know, uh, product folks on in that regard?
1: Sure, ultimately, you know, if you're a technology company, Silicon Valley technology company, you you're going to win or die based on the quality of your talent do your product solve customer jobs customer problems better than the competition so at the heart you know you are a technology company and yeah you need a great sales team but a great sales team can't sell a crappy product or a great support organization can't support one so ultimately the success of your company really rides on that product team and that technology and so you know that's a foundational understanding, I think, of any business. You know, what I look for, my product leader is, you know, someone who does a couple of different things. First of all, who's very grounded in the market, right? Understanding what customers are looking for, not only today, but what they might want two, three, or four years from now, because given our development cycles, you've got to have a view of that future. So someone who's very grounded in the market has a strong point of view. Um, And then I think second is someone who is, you know, really good operationally, who can really, you know, drive engineering and to be able to produce those products and services on time and on schedule, never perfect, but as close as possible. I think a third mindset for me is really one of innovation. You know, a product leader who is not just about incremental improvements and we all get buried with customer requests. But someone who's really thinking about how to do things creatively, differently, and innovatively. And then the last thing, Blake, for me, from a product leader, is someone who is a bit of a general manager and understands that their product will be successful unless they have great relationships with the go-to-market side of the business and the support side of the business and has kind of a P&L view of the company.
0: Yeah, and maybe let's dive into the... Uh... The company strategy side of that, because it does feel like once you're yeah. running the whole kind of show as a product leader, communicating with the board, communicating with the with the CEO, you really need to connect it with company strategy in a big, big, big way. And maybe a lot of PMs kind of struggle to get there or sort of see past product and see the full kind of aperture of what's going on with the company in the market what are maybe some good ways you've seen where kind of product folks can level up strategically to kind of understand the whole company
1: it's a great point because i actually don't think there's a big difference between product strategy and company strategy especially for a technology company. our product strategy is our company strategy in some way and let me give you a kind of a story here for jock when i joined the company five years ago we were had grown very quickly, but had kind of our growth had kind of plateaued, flattened out, which is why they, you know, brought in a new CEO to reignite that growth. The first thing I did was a strategy project. All right, I said, okay, this was in um, in two three of twenty eighteen. I said, I'm not going to try to really run the business for three months. I'm going to let it continue to run. It's been running without me. I'm not really going to focus on the strategy. Make sure it's right. So we went through a strategy project and it really was, we had a cross-functional group. But It really was the product leader, got in Peter Barker, chief product officer and a couple of the product leaders and myself. And what we did is we started out again with that grounding ourselves in the market. We interviewed our customers, we interviewed our partners, we interviewed industry analysts, we interviewed our engineers, our salespeople. We collected a lot of information, what was working, what wasn't what they wanted for the future. And we actually, Blake, we told ourselves, don't try to solution yet. Just be in that data collection mode. Don't try to jump to conclusions until you have it all done. Then once that was done, we looked at that pile of information, data we collected and said, okay, what are the key insights? For us, it was, ForgeRock had been a, 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 we sold software, on-prem software. Our customers wanted cloud, right? They wanted a SaaS service. That came out loud and clear. Our product was very flexible. You could do a lot with it from an identity experience standpoint. They wanted out of the box solutions so they get fast time to value. They didn't want to deal with that complexity, right? They felt like we were delivering software and then they were kind of on the road to deliver it. They wanted a customer success. We were all in it together. And so we created a strategy that resulted in in a new product roadmap, a new direction, hiring new kinds of people. But it was a very methodical process of starting with market back, customer back, you know, and then a lot of that, the other important element of that then is how do you communicate and lead a company around that new strategy that gets developed?
0: I love the, the sort of operative verb you use there was interview. And I'm sure there was all sorts of qualitative and quantitative data collection, but I have noticed like, as I talk to like really sophisticated product leaders, there's a real, there's kind of the quantitative and the qualitative, but there's a real lean in on qualitative. And maybe folks can kind of go down rabbit holes or sort of get the temptation to solve everything with quantitative and we're gonna have dashboards and we're gonna have, you know, queries and instrumentation and we'll just be able to data driven this whole thing. Like, I love how you sort of led with we're going to talk to customers. We're going to talk to the market. We're going to talk to, you know, talk, 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 interview, interview, interview. And I, I I guess I'm just sort of, do you look more for sort of like the qualitative insights when you're at that level of strategy? Or how do you kind of balance like qualitative and quantitative? I it.
1: Yes. Yeah, uh, it is a balance. I love data and I love I love collecting. You have to resign on data. But, I, you know, especially external data, I think it's so questionable when you hear like, Oh, the TAM for this is five billion dollars. I mean, really? I I, <laughs> yeah. I I don't know where the analyst gets that. So yeah. I think you you take that data, but I, I do think the quality of it is important. And we used to, you know, we do we do things kind of called follow me homes. I don't know if you've ever heard of that term, but no, actually kind no. of follow a customer home. And when I was in oh, okay. I was running the consumer business, you just sat there with your mouth shut and you watched the customer <laughs> use your profit. You just watch that. You you want to jump in. You want to say, no, no, no. Click over there and you'll get what you're looking for. But you just watch your customer use your product. It's amazing what you can learn from that. And I think these interviews are important. If you talk to, you know, five customers, but when you get to talk to 10, 15, 20, it's amazing that by that point, you're getting so much of the repetition. Okay, now I get it. They want a cloud product, right? Eight out of 10 said it. Let's go on that journey. And then when you're in that storytelling, when you're in that leadership phase, to rally a company behind it, to say, look, at, we spoke to 30 customers, 20 partners. We, we did a survey of 110 of you. Oh, that's part of change management because it gets people behind it because they know you've done your homework. It's not just a bunch of guys sat around a conference table and said, why don't we do this? We did our homework.
0: Amazing. I love that. I love the, what do you, what do you call that? The, the walk me home approach.
1: Follow me home. We follow, follow me home. home.
0: Okay. And we watch right. and use
1: it and we take insights yeah. from that.
0: I had uh, actually a conversation I had last week on this show with the, with a product leader who talked about one of his companies was diagnostics for trucking and they, he did a day, day-long ride-along in an 18-wheeler with one of his customers and i was like that is such a great thing to do this concept maybe you know like yeah maybe you're sitting at someone's desk and not riding along in a semi-truck but like what a great thing to do the ride along the let me sit by you let me observe because so many we start asking questions our biases we're leading the witness all that kind of comes out sit back and watch them use the product i love that that's really great advice
1: and, and it's important to no, know customers aren't buying your technology because they love you or they want to drive your revenue or help you go through IPO. They're buying your product to solve a problem. Or sometimes you know, we call it jobs. Someone wrote a book on this. I don't know who. Yeah. I can't remember. But like they're, they're buying your product to solve a job. Are we effective at solving that job? Watching them do it is a great way to learn.
0: Yeah. And, and speaking of, you know, the sort of the the jobs framework and the, the so a whole strategy conversation as you dive into this, is there a particular, because there's all these different kind of like flavors and almost like religions of like strategy frameworks. Do you like a particular strategy framework? Do you um, have a preference? How, do, how do you think, think about that? I like them all.
1: I actually do think all of them are valid. And, but I think, you know, anybody who just goes all in on one of these things and says, i'm the, i'm a jobs framework person or, i'm a this you know i think you 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 take <laughs> the best from each every company is different and you have yeah. to build your own philosophy not just mm. steal someone else's but they're all valuable i like reading the books i like listening to the podcasts but i'm not yeah. all in on any one i create
0: mm. my own you know, it's so funny because all these that you go over, we, we were big on agile at Atlassian and we kind of championed Agile and whether it's, you know, Agile lean, whatever you look at. They all all of them in the documentation have some version of, hey, remember, you gotta kind of flex this to your own needs and be a but it's also like the first thing everyone forgets, and people get so sort of <laughs> religious about following the letter of the text with these these frameworks. And but there's there's a reason they all say hey, you got to adapt to this and kind of make it work for you. And that's, it's easy to overlook. a
1: lot of the basics. Yeah. Listen to your customers, you know, collect data, mark it back,
0: have a vision. Yeah. Uh, Maybe one more in terms of product leaders, uh, kind of communicating up the organization, working with, you know, working with the the C-level, et cetera. How do you see folks go wrong? Or what are the sort of common traps that you see product managers stumble on um, in terms of you know kind of working with the rest of the organization and working with the ceo it's a great
1: question one of them you know the trick of any product manager one of one of these tricks that i've learned is when you're solving problems you're solving for both the short term and the long term right it's easy if you're just trying to say like how do i create a product roadmap to last me six months Or it's easy to say like i don't care about the next year i'm going to solve for what what my need in two years you got to do both you you got to solve for both the short and the long term and and i think what i see is product leaders who come to me will only focus on one or the other and you Mm -hmm. get them to just come in and complain about you know we got this product in the market and i only have so many engineers to do the work and i'm being buried with customer requests and I don't have time to do anything long term because I'm just buried under these customer requests. You know, and, you, and then you have others who, like, ignore that and just want to focus on cool new innovation things for the long term. When someone comes to me, I want them to acknowledge that they're doing both, that they are got to solve for the short term. They've got to get certain things out in the next six months to, to beat the competition, to solve customer jobs. But they're also investing for the long term. And I think the best product managers understand both um, and come up with a
0: plan that solves for both. I love that. I kind of want to double click on customer requests because you all are obviously operating at a really impressive scale there. I'm sure you get a ton of feedback, requests, customer, customer feedback and stuff like that. How do you kind of wrap your head around that and think about, How much should we listen to? How much feedback should we be listening to? How much should we be sort of like reactive versus, you know, kind of proactive in terms of what customers are asking for? Drawing insights out of that feedback, stuff like that. Before I answer that question,
1: I'm gonna tell you what I think is the most important trait of a product manager. And that is judgment, right? They have to, this is where decision-making sits and they have to exercise judgment because there is no formula on how much of your roadmap is spent solving a request that comes in from your biggest customer versus experimenting on a feature that may not even be valuable because it turns out you gotta be willing to fail, right? All of that. And so a product manager needs judgment to be able to decide that. And we, you know, we look at individual customer requests in, you know, that come in in an urgent way in kind of two buckets. Yes, our biggest customer will be requesting this, but all of our other customers are going to want this anyway. So maybe we just rejigger priorities to make this one really big customer happy, may delay something else, but at least it's something that applies to all of our customers and gives value to our business. And the other kind of requests that in are just one-off things that just solves for that particular customer no other value to other people. Those are the things that we tend to push back on. And we say, look at you know there's no reasonable expectations of what you're asking for should be on our product none of our other customers want it so we're not going to disrupt our roadmap for that why don't you pay additional for it we'll get a contractor in to help create that one-off thing for you and so again it's all about judgment there's no like right or wrong answer because we all want to be responsible to our customers but sometimes saying no is the right answer which is really hard and it requires very careful judgment on when to say, when to pull that no letter, because you can't do it too often.
0: Uh, That's a great point about judgment. And my big question, and I'll I'll maybe kind of offer two different ways to answer this, I'll let you pick. How do you uh, yourself screen for judgment from a product leader, or put another way, how could a product leader like practice, like develop that muscle more?
1: So the way I screen for it is definitely by listening, right? And in, you know, because these are the types of talents that come up every day. And at FordRock, we, 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 our product applies both identity for customers. Like when you do online banking or online shopping, you're a customer of your bank or Amazon or whatever. We also do it for employees, right? Um, so when you log on every day at work, right, you have an identity at work, you know, and, and we do both. And so we created what we call segment product managers because we want to be market back right? So you got to understand these are two kind of different markets. And what I do is listen to these segment product managers and how, when a challenge comes up, how do they deal with it? And I think the best way as a leader is by asking them questions, not telling them what to do and say, well, have you talked to this customer? have you thought about whether it applies to other people? And literally just kind of watching their wheels move and how they do that. Because I think judgment is, if you don't have it, you don't have it. Um and and I think that's what makes a great product manager versus maybe a great engineer, a great salesperson, or a great customer support person. So yeah. I think a lot of that is asking questions and watching. But I do think there's things, there are these frameworks you can use to help that judgment skill. And you know, when I was talking about that making decisions for short and long term, we also look at there are different stakeholders in a decision your stakeholders are your customers, your employees, and your shareholders, right? I'm not a big, only a shareholder capitalist, I'm a stakeholder capitalist, and I recognize that we have different stakeholders. So I actually, in in times of making really tough decisions, actually build out a matrix, short and long-term, kind of on the left, right, and then my three top columns are customers, employees, shareholders. How does the decision I'm gonna make impact? It may be really good for the customer short-term, but not good for them long-term because I'm not innovating because I'm solving all their short-term problems. Or it could be really good for investors over the long-term, but are investors going to stay with you if you don't hit your quarterly numbers? So it's these frameworks that you can use, but ultimately, if you're attracted to being a product leader or product manager, you better have good judgment.
0: That's a really great, yes. appreciate the deep dive there because that's a really great... um... That's a really great just way of articulating that. That's super valuable for the audience. Appreciate that. You touched a bit on your own uh, product portfolio in that answer, and maybe we can dive a little bit more into that. Obviously, there's a lot of exciting stuff going on, a company at your scale. You've got a kind of a broad horizon of cool stuff on the product front. So maybe instead of trying to talk about it all, I'll just ask, what that's going on product wise in your organization is kind of charging you up the most right now.
1: I'm going to ask you a question before I answer that. Yeah. How do you how do you like when you go to a website and you have to create a new identity and create a new password and go through a new password registration and remember and remembering? How do you like that experience?
0: Yeah, not great. Right, but we all agree.
1: And I right. think of the username and password is this really old antiquated paradigm of identity and authentication and i consider it a lose-lose scenario because at forge we try to help our customers build identity experiences that are simple easy and frictionless and safe and secure and i think a username and password fails both of those tests because it's not very easy to use i mean you just said how much you hate creating new passwords and everyone requires you have different
0: Remembering Even if I've used have I used this service before? How did that's I log right. in in the past? All that's of that. Right. Yeah.
1: All of that is crappy experience. Yeah. It's also crappy security because most people like use the same username and password everywhere. They use the minimum yeah. one. They write it down. So we have this approach that's really antiquated because it's both bad experience and bad security. So with Ford, we're really kind of driving a lot of innovation in this where we believe that the area of the password is over. And that there are so many better ways to recognize a user that are both better experiences. So you don't have to remember all that. You can just go into a website or open a mobile app and be recognized with smarter behind the scenes ways where we can create your identity based on, you know, collecting signals of both your user and your device behavior. There are a lot of open standards called the the WebAuthn FIDO standards around how Apple, Google, and Microsoft can deliver you a uh, your identity behind the scenes. So what I'm most excited about is is helping our customers, customers like Geico, customers like Home Depot and USAA. These great customers eliminate the username and password, um, and give you a much better and secure experience on their websites.
0: How do you sort of think about the the big vision there? And you're, I, I can just hear in your explanation that you're. Your teams there are charging into maybe some known unknowns, maybe some unknown unknowns, maybe some, some territory that isn't fully explored yet. How do you think about product vision and product strategy for for that? Where it's like we might be kind of like chartering into new territory here, especially when we talk about things as, as grand within as like a future without passwords. Like, and how do you sort of shore that up with like Hey, we've got a business, we've got targets, we've got expectations and stakeholders. Like that seems like a big balancing act.
1: It is you know, it is essential to a successful company. And you know, I'm kind of old fashioned in this approach. I think every company starts with an exciting vision. Like people want to go work for a company that has an exciting vision, right? And for us that is, that vision is creating a world where you never have to log in again. Like that's that experience that we're, that's our vision. And then below that, we have a purpose, okay? So we have a a vision, which is this really simple. Then we have a purpose, which is to work with our enterprise customers to create identity experiences that are both simple and safe. Breaking that forced compromise of, oh, you have to balance experience and security. No, you can have both. And then we have a mission statement, right? So we have that, which I won't go through right now, but we have this vision, purpose, and mission. And we constantly use that new hire orientation. We ground ourselves on that. And it is the foundation that everybody points to because I believe I don't want to make a lot of decisions as CEO. I like pushing decisions out to the edge of my organization, to engineers on the front line or building the product, to customer support people on the phone, to, to, to engineer whatever it is, which means they need the context to know what we're working towards. And and, and that's why I think being very clear in that on that, on that vision for the future, the purpose, and the mission. Then below that, we have a strategy. Say, okay, well, how are we going to deliver on that purpose and that vision? And that really is, to the point earlier, that's our product strategy. It's going to Mm -hmm. the cloud, comprehensive platform, scalability, all these product features related to that. And then that pulls down then, Blake, into what we call our annual goal-setting priorities. So we have a company set of key priorities and metrics, smart, everything's smart. And then that cascades down through the organization. And every single team has their own clear priorities and smart goals associated with those. And then those cascade into our personal smart goals that we use to, in our performance management. So that company framework has all gotta be there. It sounds old fashioned, but if you dedicate the time and you do it well, you can start with inspiring people around that really exciting vision for the future and connecting what they do every day, right? Down in the weeds. To that exciting vision.
0: I love how you specifically call out too that you don't want to be on the front lines and having to answer every question and having to be personally giving, you know, one-to-one guidance in all these situations because you're right. Like number one, that just like would be impossible logistically and it would sort of stunt the business potential. I saw that and, and I love that that in the context of mission values, it's easy to overlook that. I really saw that play out really excellent Uh, going back to my five years at Atlassian where you really can have company values that folks rely on as these sort of like totems to help answer a question or steer the ship without having to ask permission or always ask for advice. You kind of have this set of rules or norms that you can rely on. It's like, okay, like, you know, don't, you know, don't screw over the customer, like, I'm going to do this, like, uh, play as a team, I'm going to do this, like, it's easy to overlook these, but I think it's it's important to know that, like, you call those out for a reason there, and those, the company mission yeah. values can really be tactical, they're not just sort of, like, fluff, right? That's
1: right, that's yeah. right, because it goes to, the, like, Toyota, right, in all these business books, Tony mm-hmm. was like, we want people on the front line to make the decisions, not the exact, and they need that yeah. context, and so you know, we kind of have these two tracks. We have that kind of strategy track around you know vision, purpose, mission, strategy, priorities. Then we also have the people track. And we have both values and cultural, what we call kind of our cultural pillars. And the cultural mm-hmm. pillars were developed because during interviews with new employees, you want to be able to make sure that people you're bringing on are going, are going to be successful, not only for you, but for them. And I would get the question a lot during interviews, what's it like to work at Fordrum? What's it like? What kind of people are successful there? And we wanted to answer that question all consistently. So we got a group of by the end, we had over a hundred of us, 150 people participating in workshops. How do we want to answer that question to our to our and that mm-hmm. as your scale is important? And small companies, they don't want, oh, that's bureaucracy, that's big company to define your culture. If you define it, it's dead. That might be okay for a 30 or 40 or 50 person company, especially pre-COVID when they were all together. But as you get so distributed and so large, like, and you're hiring people. I mean, we're hiring hundreds of people a year. You need to give them the roadmap of what it's like to work here and how they should treat each other and how they should be successful. Don't let them stumble around in the dark and learn it themselves. Give them the directions.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I also love uh, my favorite part about your Toyota example. And, and uh, I, I think this is a great lesson for this kind of thing. Toyota actually gave, also gave frontline employees, factory workers on the line. They created a mechanism so anyone on the line could stop the, literally stop the production line, you know, multi-million dollar production line. Anyone factory worker on their first day, they see something wrong. They see a mistake. They see something, they can pull this cord and stop the line. And like, what a great example of walking the walk in terms of, hey, uh, how many companies say we're going to empower our frontline employees, but. It's things like that where you kind of couple it with, here's a tactical uh, manifestation of that. Like any employee can stop the line if they see an issue. You don't have to run to a manager who has to get approval from his manager. By that time, this mistake has compounded over 500 cars. Like anyone can stop the line. I love the the sort of like juxtaposition and you calling that that example out there. Cause it's 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 a great, yeah, it's a great point.
1: And, and it also leads into why somebody would stop the line. And then that leads into customer success for me in that customer success mindset. You know, you don't want to just watch crappy cars go down the line because ultimately it may be a year from now or two years from now, but you're going to have a crappy customer experience, which is going to hurt your company's reputation and long-term success.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: as long as you know you, you have the right reason. And we try to do that. You know, we have a GA process, general availability, product launch process. And it takes a lot of people to do it, not only the product. But you have to have your support ready to support it on day one. You need your services organization ready to install it. You need your documentation done. You need your training complete. So all those organizations should have that same veto power. So, no, we're not going to launch this product. You may think it's ready from an engineering standpoint, from a product standpoint. But we're not ready as a company to create a customer success experience. So we're going to put a hold on that until we're really ready.
0: I want to dive into that just a little bit more because it's a great example. A big reason we exist as a company is because, you know, this this shift to the SaaS and this sort of rapid pace of innovation software and SaaS companies are offering their customers now where it used to be, yeah, maybe there's one big launch a year and we kind of have a year to all get ready for the big launch. And now with SaaS and the way developers build and the way, you know, customer expectations, the speed of market, everything's increased. Things are getting shipped there's more likely to be Hey, we're gonna have a dozen launches. We're gonna have two launches every month. Uh, we're gonna constantly be, and with SaaS, you can, you can constantly be shipping updates. How have you kind of thought about that Like, We want to be prepared. We want the experience to be high. How do you kind of balance that out with like, how do we accelerate the pace of that at the same time?
1: And, and I, I hear that all the time, right? Well, you know, that's an old fashioned way of like big end releases. Now we're in these sprints every two, three weeks. We're pumping stuff out there. How do we do that? And and my answer to that is those old fashioned approach, they were really big releases, lots of new features and functionality because it was a year's worth of development piled into one. So, I mean, when you had to update training, it was a massive upgrade. Now we're doing these like tiny little things. And, And so, yeah, we're releasing every three weeks, but we're not releasing much every three weeks. So the work it should take to get everybody up to speed on what that change is or update your documentation up your training material, should be small. And just like we're in these rapid, you know, agile releases in our product, we need to be rapid and agile in everything we do. And that means agile in our docs, agile in our training, agile in our website. And that is hard because especially if you're a company like Fordrock that was not born in the cloud, We've had to go through a transition. Companies are born in the cloud. I think they probably have that more natively in the organization.
0: Yeah, it's a great point And a sort of failure mode I've seen over and over again where folks will think, hey, well, our devs have gone agile, so we're all set. And it's like, you're only really, you got to think of the full sort of throughput of the value you deliver, and you're only as agile as the least agile part of that system. You can't just ship agility agile to the devs or one part of the process and expect the rest, like you're as agile as the least agile part. So it's a great it's a great call out, um, this sort of holistic approach there. I could talk about this stuff all day, Fran. Me I'm too. sure you could too. Any final pearls of advice or uh, thoughts on all this before we wrap up?
1: You know, the only one I would say is that as a product leader, as a product manager, you know, I do believe in the kind of the mini GM and, and and that requires kind of awareness of putting yourself in the shoes of understanding how all the teams function to create a high performing business. And, and understanding that, I think, is really critical to a product manager's or product leader's success. Now, in some cases, those people, most cases, those people don't report to you. So how you drive change, how you bring them along on this journey when they don't report to you is the secret sauce having what makes a really successful product manager or product leader. So first, you have to understand that to to, to have them follow you, understand what's important to them, what their job is, what drives them, and then speak in their language. I think that really is important. If you're just into the technology alone, um, you're not going to be as successful as somebody who really brings the whole company along.
0: Answer this, fill in the blank for me real quick. I wish more people with this background would go into product management. I would say,
1: I think sales engineering is a very natural okay, yeah. progression. Yeah. Well, if there's mm-hmm. not one place, I've seen a lot of engineers Go success into product managers. I've seen product managers go into product management. I've seen a lot of SEs. Um, I've even seen salespeople, believe it or not, um, make the move into product management. So it can come from anywhere. But I definitely think that if you're a young person graduating college, don't go right into product management. Okay. Be an engineer. Be a sales engineer. You know, be a product marketer. Do something because you know you learn you bring that into then the role of product management
0: excellent excellent advice full episode full of awesome insights awesome advice it has been super valuable super fun Fran. appreciate you being here if uh if folks want to learn more about fordrock follow along with this journey where should they head
1: fordrock.com is the best place
0: all right thanks for all being right, here Blake, thank
1: you so much yeah. i really enjoyed the conversation
0: Yeah, this was great. Thanks, Fran. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Launch Notes Podcast. If you enjoyed this conversation, please take 10 seconds to leave us a five-star review. Your review helps new people find the show. More importantly, it lets us know which episodes you've enjoyed the most so we can continue to find amazing guests and topics you'll love. Even if you don't typically leave podcast reviews, it would mean a ton to us if you did. We're pumped when we get new reviews. I personally read every review. I'm always sharing them with the rest of the Launch Notes team. So thank you in advance and see you next time.